Lending for houses tumbles as real estate agents report a big jump in distressed sales. Gas prices set to be capped, and one of the world's biggest multinational companies decides to offer local staff a four-day working week for the same pay. It's Thursday, the 3rd of November, 2022. Welcome to Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Michael Thompson, and good morning, Sean Aylmer. Good morning, Michael. Sean, have you come down off your high from tipping the winner of the Melbourne Cup the other day? Oh, look, I'm pleased you mentioned it again. <laughs> I might have mentioned it a few times yesterday and I hadn't yet this morning, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm still pretty happy. Gold trip. You know, the problem is though that it sets a precedent. Now everyone's going to be looking to you every year for the tip. I mean, that that's the, that's what I do every year now with Stephen Kukoulos. I, I check to see if he's tipped the winner and um, and it's very, very hard to repeat that. Oh, well, I mean, look, it only lasts for a year, though, because next year I'll give some tip that'll come 23rd <laughs> and everyone will drop me. So that's fine, really. It's, it's only it's, a one-off. It's temporary. It is temporary. Right. Yeah. All right. Big show coming up today, Sean. There's plenty to discuss. A quick mention of your interview that's coming up after the show. Angela Anassis, the Executive General Manager of Randstad Australia. Yeah, it's all about something called job washing. Now, I've heard of greenwashing. I had never heard of job washing. It's basically when the employer tells a few porkies about what the job's going to be like, and then the candidate takes the job, turns up, and finds that it's not what it was promised to be. And apparently, there's a fair bit of that going on, given the unemployment rates at 3.5%, maybe not surprising, but not a good thing for an employer to do. So, fascinating chat with Angela. Probably a little bit more serious than the employer telling the employee that, yeah, we've got a ping pong table. And um, they turn up and, in fact, it is not a ping pong table. It's just a table with a little net strung across it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit more <laughs> a little bit more developed than that, yes. Okay. All right. Well, I, for one, will be listening in the hope that I learned something. The main story, though, this morning, Sean, the value of home lending tumbled more than 8% in September, much worse than expected, demonstrating just how much heat has come out of the market. Lending is down 18.5% on a year ago, which reflects the jump in mortgage rates and expectations that prices will fall, according to the Bureau of Statistics. Remember, house prices have fallen by 10% in Sydney already and more than 6% in Melbourne, and they're still falling. People, quite naturally, are holding back before entering the market. Now, weak consumer confidence isn't helping either, and it isn't just owner-occupiers staying away. The figures show investors are gun-shy as well, as are first home buyers. Also from the Bureau yesterday, building approvals, which is a much more volatile series, fell nearly 6% in September. Now, approvals are well down from their high of 2021, but certainly people aren't taking finance and they're not looking to build either, or at least nowhere near as much as they were 12 months ago. And Sean, this is this is quite confronting. At the same time, the number of distressed home listings has risen by more than 15% since interest rates started to rise in May. Yes. Now, it hasn't come through on the bank's books yet because they haven't said that they're seeing a lot more distressed home loans. However, real estates are reporting this. Vendors are struggling to meet sharply higher mortgage repayments. That's according to SQM Research. The seven straight interest rate rises are starting to bite, especially in New South Wales, where house prices are highest. According to the data, the change in distressed listings since May in that state is close to 40%. Hard to imagine that, actually. Queensland and Tasmania are around 26%, and the ACT is at 20%. Victoria's next at 15%. In South Australia, the number of distressed listings is pretty well flat over the past seven months, while they've actually 
declined, so things have gotten better in the Northern Territory and Western Australia. All right, plenty of data around. Is it all bad news? Well, no, not really. I mean, with migration picking up and the fact that in the recent budget, the government said it wants to build more houses, approvals might not fall too much more. But unfortunately, with interest rates rising and rising, the number of distressed listings will also keep rising. All right. How about local markets? What happened yesterday? Well, Michael, it was a bit of an up and down day on the stock exchange with the S&P ASX 200 at one point breaking through the 7,000 point mark before closing up 0.1% to 6,987 points. It's a very strong day for the materials and energy stocks. BHP, Rio Tinto and South 32 all finished up around 2.5%. Woodside Energy, Santos and Fortescue were about 1% higher. The banks ended better while the retailers were mixed. It was what I'd call a normal day on the bourse, and we haven't had too many of those recently. Among the best performers were Coronado Gold and Lake Resources. CSL said it will invest more than $300 million to beef up its mRNA capabilities, forming a licensing agreement with a NASDAQ-listed company. Its share price was flat. The big mover, really, among the large caps was MCOR, the paper and packaging group. It fell 4.5% after reporting overall sales revenue up 9%, with net income up 15%, but I don't think the analysts like the outlook statement. All right. And what about international markets? Oh, look, it was all about last night's rate rise in the US. The world's biggest economy's labour market is certainly still strong, with new figures showing that every unemployed person has a choice of two jobs, as in there's almost twice as many jobs as there are people unemployed. Quite incredible, really. Both oil and gold prices were up a bit, while the Aussie dollar is trading at just over 64 US cents. All right. We'll be back in a moment with the rest of the day's business news. Sean, this is an interesting one. Canberra has given the okay to exporting rare earths to China, notwithstanding the fact that the US is spending billions to break Beijing's stranglehold on the sector. Federal Resources Minister Madeleine King gave the okay days after rare earths aspirant VHM Limited announced plans to sell 60% of output from its proposed mine in Victoria to a Chinese company. Now, Ms King said foreign investment would help new Australian mines get established and ultimately create more resilient and diverse markets for critical minerals. I just think it's interesting. We still have a trading relationship with China and we talk lots about tariffs and bans on things like wine and coal and wheat, but we still sell them plenty of commodities. Yeah, we certainly do. Now, Shadow Federal Treasurer Angus Taylor has given a speech to the National Press Club commenting on plenty of the government's policies. Yes, it was a pretty good snapshot of the opposition's position on a number of issues. On stage three tax cuts, which the Morrison government, of course, introduced, Mr Taylor said they must go ahead. He said it wasn't clear what the government was talking about when it came to a mandatory code of conduct for the gas companies. He said the coalition wants to work with the government on the Reserve Bank review, but he wouldn't be drawn into the opposition's take on Indigenous voice. Now, talking of gas, Sean, the competition regulator yesterday said it was up to the government to decide whether to introduce price caps on gas, even if the ACCC recommended them. That's right. The Australian Competition and Consumer Commission is providing official advice to the Albanese government about how to rein in East Coast gas prices. Its chair, Gina Cascotlieb, told the Financial Review that the advice would discuss price caps. She said regulatory intervention in other markets had successfully lowered prices for consumers without necessarily deterring investment. Now, earlier in the day, Treasurer Jim Chalmers said market intervention was needed and there was a need to make the petroleum resource rent tax, which taxes earnings from oil and gas, 
fairer. Dr. Charms called himself a reluctant intervener, but Michael, an intervener nonetheless. Now, Sean, I don't really know what to make of this next one. And it is again about the federal government, but this time the government's under fire for removing a bunch of cybersecurity jobs from its skilled visa applications process. The tech sector was very surprised by the decision of Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill to make it harder to bring in cyber experts, software engineers and technology developers, particularly given the Optus and Medibank cyber hacks recently. Ms O'Neill introduced a ministerial direction to change how migration agents prioritised skilled visa applications. Now, that direction removed 27 job roles, including security specialists and other tech specialists from the priority migration skilled occupation list. Now, this is part of the broader shakeup of skilled visa processing in Australia that aims to prioritise fixing talent shortages in health, education and across regional Australia. All that makes sense, but it just looks like tech experts have been caught up potentially as collateral damage. Yeah, it might seem that way. Now, Rio Tinto's bid to take over Canadian group Turquoise Hill Resources got a bit of a boost after the main opponents said they won't vote at the shareholder meeting. Yeah, there's a lot to this. It's a massive deal, $3.3 billion US dollars. Rio has owned 51% of Turquoise Hill for about 10 years and earlier this year said it wanted to acquire the other 49%. Now, Turquoise Hill, which is the Canadian group, It owns two-thirds of a massive copper mine in Mongolia. Basically, Rio wants to hold 100% of turquoise, thereby getting that Mongolian copper mine, which seems to be the jewel in the crown. The other third of that jewel is currently owned by the Mongolian government, and there has been plenty of angst among all the major players. Now, two of the biggest shareholders in turquoise have come out and said they won't be voting. Effectively, they're abstaining or officially they're dissenting but it's not a vote against Rio, which means Rio's chance of getting Turquoise Hill and thereby a bigger share of the copper mine in Mongolia has increased significantly. Rio's share price rose about 2% as a result. Okay, now I, I can't wait to hear what you think of this story. This is a cracker. Unilever Australia, which makes dove toiletries and streets ice creams, and actually makes a huge number of things, kind of you've got your Vaseline and your Omo and even your Ben and Jerry's ice cream, which is one of my personal favourites. Anyway, Unilever Australia is going to allow 500 local employees to work four-day weeks after a pilot program found that employees could produce just as much output in the shorter work week. And do you know one of the ways they did it? They removed low-value tasks such as meetings and emails. Hmm, There you go. According to a report in the Financial Review, Unilever Australia will test a four-day work week for at least 12 months from the middle of this month. It will base its trial on the 180-100 model, whereby employees retain 100% of their pay but reduce their hours to 80%, provided they maintain 100% productivity. All staff except for factory employees covered by existing enterprise bargaining agreements will take part in the trial, which comes after Unilever did something similar in New Zealand. Now, in the trial in New Zealand, staff were less stressed, more productive, and more committed to the organisation. They took 34% fewer sick days, stress fell by more than 33%, work-life conflicts dropped by two-thirds, and the feeling of strength and vigour increased. There you go. The feeling of strength and vigour increased. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness me. Uh, Do you think we should move fear and greed to just coming out four days a week in order to give us back some vigour? Oh, (laughs) I'm just going to leave that. 
you know what? I think that might be wise, Sean. Hmm. Uh, finally, how can we not mention the story yesterday about five lions escaping from Sydney's Taronga Zoo? It's everyone's nightmare. Go to the zoo and come face to face with a lion without any glass between you. Apparently, one adult lion and four cubs were found outside their main enclosure at about 6.30 yesterday morning. They're in a small area separated from the rest of the zoo by a 1.8 metre high fence. Now, zoo staff were moved away and eventually four of the lions made their own way back to the main enclosure while the other had to be tranquilised. Zoo management said things were handled well, no doubt, but don't you still wonder how they got out? Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a mystery, and I think really the, the the biggest risk for management here is a loss of pride. Yeah, we've got to move on from that one too. Oh, come on. You've got to give me something today, Sean. Oh, I tell you what, though, this morning headline writers everywhere is having a field day because you've got main event and kind of all of these pride uh, puns yes. and all of this, and and I, I'm not lying, all these kinds of things. It is, just, <laughs> it is an absolute dream scenario for anyone mm. in the newspaper industry. It is. All right, moving on to overseas news and Twitter is facing an absolute exodus of executives and skittish advertisers as Elon Musk and his advisors take control of the social media company, prepare to lay off employees and make some pretty significant changes to the product. At least five top Twitter executives, including the chief marketing officer, the chief customer officer, the head of people and diversity and the head of product, have departed the company in recent days, according to the New York Times. Of course, the CEO was also removed late last week. At the same time, advertisers, which provide about 90% of revenue, are increasingly worried about Mr. Musk's ownership of the platform. Now, the billionaire has spooked some by saying he'll loosen Twitter's content rules, which could lead to a surge in misinformation. Meanwhile, the new owner, the chief twit, as he calls himself, said the company will offer a premium subscription service for $8 US a month that will verify users, boost the visibility of the posts of those subscribers and allow them to see fewer advertisements. Sean, air raid sirens sounded in South Korea yesterday after North Korea fired about a dozen missiles in its direction, with at least one of them landing near the rival sea border. The launches came hours after North Korea threatened to use nuclear weapons to get the US and South Korea to pay the most horrible price in history as it intensified its rhetoric, targeting the ongoing large-scale military drills between its rivals. According to AP, South Korea's military said North Korea launched more than 10 missiles of various kinds off its eastern and western coasts. One of the missiles landed just 26 kilometres from the border of the two countries. Yeah, that's a bit scary. And finally, Sean, former Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu looks likely to return to power as exit polls showed his right-wing bloc heading for a narrow win. Israel's longest-serving Premier, on trial over corruption charges, which he denies, was poised to take 61 or 62 of the Knesset's 120 seats, a narrow majority, according to Reuters. A final result is not expected until later in the week, and wrangling broke out immediately, with Netanyahu's Likud party warning of possible attempts to falsify the results. It was Israel's fifth election in less than four years, and the turnout was the highest level since 1999, so clearly a very interested public. Indeed. All right, up next is the Fear and Greed Daily Interview with Angela Anassis, Executive General Manager of Randstad Australia. Yes, yeah, all about job washing, as I mentioned, companies that promise potential employees more than they can deliver. All right, that's coming up next in the Fear and Greed playlist on your podcast platform or at fearandgreed.com.au. And don't forget as well to check out the new episode of our other podcast, How Do They Afford That, featuring me, 
and probably to a greater extent, Canna Campbell, the founder of Sugar Mama TV, all about making your money work a little bit harder for you. This week's episode is all about investing while you still have a mortgage. It is a very interesting topic. You can find that wherever you listen to podcasts or there is a link in today's show notes. Thank you very much, Sean. Thank you, Michael. It's Thursday, the 3rd of November, 2022. Make sure you're following the podcast and join us online on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm Michael Thompson, and that was Fear and Greed. Have a great day.